We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Dr. Jonathan Fader. He is a sport and clinical psychologist with 11 years experience, been with teams like the New York Giants, the New York Mets. He's just released a new book called Coaching Athletes to Be Their Best, Motivational Interviewing in Sports. So motivation is an area that I've really gone back and forth with over the last 10 years. I wanted to use Dr. Fader's experience and his expertise to shine some light on the dynamics specifically in our game at the minute. In particular, areas that impact motivation on a day-to-day basis like pay-to-play system, college scholarships, playing time, parents, loss of motivation... How do we deal with these and get a better grasp of them on the front end of things to work through them? So a lot of this is from areas that I've personally struggled with. So really, really looking forward to it. As always, we'd love to know your thoughts at Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. One quick announcement before we start. November's Modern Soccer Coach webinar will be on Wednesday, November 20th. And the topic will be set pieces so something that i've never touched on in any of the books that i've written and i've never claimed to be an expert in but over the past couple of years i've worked alongside coaches with some great ideas on set pieces and some very very good processes so i wanted to bring on some special guests to discuss attacking set pieces defensive set pieces how do we train them how do we scout them zonal versus man marking and a lot lot more so the webinar will be on november 20th the webinar will be free to all members of the modern soccer coach community platform if you haven't checked it out you will get access to all the content on there a range of webinars already uploaded 250 plus exercises along with weekly content that's growing and growing so go online take a look modernsoccercoach.com slash community for a free two-week trial and then it's only six dollars a month so for the price of coffee you get the webinars you get the content and you get the database of all the information that's going to continue to grow and grow so excited about that okay confidence with dr fader here we go enjoy Dr. Fader, thank you so much for joining me this morning on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Really excited to have you on. I'm totally pumped, Gary. Uh, you know, you do a great podcast, and I think uh, so the things that we talk about and uh, are going to fit really well into the coaches that you talk to. I think so. I think so. I just told you before we started recording that motivation is something that I've gone back and forth with in my journey as a coach. So I'm going to challenge a few things for myself today and 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 look to improve and look to get a little bit better but this will definitely not be the first time i've been challenged in sports i think you know that's what this is all about right it's it's such a challenge for for coaches for for athletes we're all we're all challenged and we're all challenging each other i mean it's it's really literally the the best way to challenge yourself is to be involved in sports i think okay your new book that's coming out coaching athletes to be their best the motivational interviewing in sports 
it was the first time that I've heard about this term motivational interviewing. So can you please give us a little insight as to, to what it is and the background behind it? You know, I, first of all, it excites me so much when people say that's the first time that they're hearing about it, because this is actually a technique that's been around a ton in other areas. And by other areas, I mean law enforcement, healthcare, um, and and other areas where it's difficult to, to change. And motivational interviewing is a technique that actually started with addictions. Uh, what was found in addictions with people who had addictions problems is that a lot of times you would, you would suggest something to someone or suggest that they change their behavior, for example, with smoking or drinking or other drug use. And they just wouldn't, even though it was the best thing for them, even though it was something that was, that was clear they needed to do. And what we found in, uh, in the years of research and study, I'm talking about you know, since the late 70s, is that a different way of having that conversation was really effective. Traditionally, what was done was to tell people, this is what you need to do. And if people were ambivalent, meaning they felt two ways about it, they were, they were confused about what to do, or they had some objection, they tended to not follow the advice or direction. And so the whole art of applying this evidence-based, this science-based way of talking to people is about saying, hey, wait, wait a second, there's overlap between this and, for example, law enforcement. There's, example, there's overlap between this and other aspects of healthcare, et cetera. And you know what? There's actually aspects that overlap with things like personal training and physical therapy and now sports in the sense that a lot of athletes who are, you know, teenagers, younger, and, and certainly older, because this is applied in professional sports as well, are unsure how and if they want to change. And also, sometimes we'll listen to feedback instruction, and for some reason, not fully do what the coaches ask. And so this is an approach that helps coaches to work with athletes on all different levels, all different states of motivation, to help them to really embrace the message uh, that's going to help them function better on the field or on the court and off. It wouldn't be the first time that soccer or coaching is behind the rest of the world when it comes to finding something out that was really, really effective in psychology or motivation. Do you think the reason for that is because this traditional view of the coach, the any given Sunday, the coach having the key to motivation, do you think that's what's what's held us back or is, or is holding us back? Gary, you know, that's a great question. Um, and the, the why, in other words, why coaches don't know about this or, or you know, haven't been, um, haven't been using this method, you know, a lot of times what I think happens for coaches too, um, and what we, what we do, and, and I, I put myself in this, in this category too, is that we let our ego get in the way. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, it's so important for us to be effective. It's so important for us to, to win to show that we're an excellent coach um, and to show parents or fans or whoever it is that, you know, that, that leaks into our mentality. And so really what happens is that we, we start to let, get less open to other things. Um, and there are two reasons for that. One is, well, if it's not my way, um, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be perceived as weak for not trying it. And two, I'm actually really suspicious of new ways because they may actually hurt my performance if I try them. And so I think that's some of the reasons that coaches don't have a beginner's mind um, towards things. I think the other reason is, you know, a lot of times coaches are the authority and anything that asks them to step out of their authority role um, can be challenging. I listened to an interview that you did where you talked about the coach, the problem with, you know, when you're presented with this 
vision or imperfect world in front of you with motivation that you act as a fixer. Is that the same type of thing then whenever a coach is basically we're taught in coach education that, you know, you see something tactically, you step in, you stop the session, you fix it. You have another player with, with his shoes in front of you. By stepping in and fix it then, are, are you then co- causing a different set of problems? Are you then almost becoming ineffective with your coaching? Or, or you know, how, how much is too much, I suppose I'm going to ask you? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up, this whole idea of the fixer, Gary, because um, in general, one of the ways to explain how motivational interviewing works in sports is that most coaches uh, have one speed, right? Like think of yourself as a coach, as a, as a bike most coaches have kind of one speed and that one speed is fixing. And what that means is to say, I'm a coach. And what I do is I instruct and tell players and athletes what they can do to improve. And when, when they're not doing that thing, I correct them. And I can do that in a nice and kind way. It's not like I have to you know, yell, I can do that in a nice way, but I see my role as being, um, as being a fixer. I fix. And certainly I would think that's actually, in my mind, that's one of the predominant roles of being a coach. You have knowledge that the athlete or the player doesn't have, and you're going to impart that knowledge. That's a huge uh, part of what being a coach is. But for motivational interviewing, we recognize there's two other speeds that you can ride on your bike in as you're coaching, right? The, The other speeds or the other ways of being are what we call following and guiding. So for example, what we believe that it's really important to learn how to do well and do better is to follow. And what that means is to listen well. Now, most people, when they think of listening, they think of keeping your mouth shut. But that's not what we mean by listening. What we mean by listening is learning ways to improve your ability to hear at a deep level what the athlete is actually saying and to do things like use reflective statements, show them. Everybody talks in sports about empathy learning how to empathize and to make statements that show you understand what's going on for them. We find that in time that helps people actually connect better to their coaches and actually listen to them in a more deep way when they are trying to fix. And the other aspect, which in my mind is actually one of the truest forms of actual coaching is called guiding. And what guiding involves is learning how to ask important and and connected questions to the athlete about what makes them tick. We think that motivational comes from within. Motivation comes from within, not from without. And the best way to motivate an athlete or a team is to find out what their motivation is, right? I always often talk about coaching. To me, the best coaching happens when a player takes what you have to say and brings it onto the field. I often see that coaches yell at players while they're on the field. Once you have to do that, I think actually it's a sign that we're, the, we're not that effective in our coaching because, because we have to remind them of what we said. And so this technique employs these two other speeds of guiding and following to, to make it more likely that the player, the person you're working with, is going to actually take your advice and internalize it, bring it really inside them and take it on the field, take your voice with them on the field. You've said that a couple of times is basically what your solutions are as coaches. Sometimes will actually the player will move away from doing what is right for one reason or another. So the way you present that is is of utmost importance. But 
the problem a lot of coaches have is that, yeah, they, they do present it in an aggressive, yelling way because of the emotion of the game, and all of a sudden it, it just goes south. But how important is it? Because the thing that stood out for me in your TED Talk was the level of humor you use, and then in your podcast that I listen to as well. Like Humor is obviously, for me, it looks like a way for you to connect with people, and it's very, very effective. But how much, how important is it for you to use different facilities as a coach, like to get to to almost stir that emotion in the person to to buy into that vision or to buy into that inspiration that you're trying to deliver? I mean, I I think it's critical. Um, it's absolutely critical. And and the reason that I think it's critical is that the biggest factor that makes a team work or a coaching relationship work is trust to me, right? The biggest thing that, that produces a high quality team. And I'm not just talking about athletes. I'm talking about in the military. I'm talking about in government. Trust is what lets people be at their best. And the reason that is Gary is because if I trust you, Gary, number one, I'm willing, I'm likely to put my best out there. Number two, I'm not expending energy worrying about if you have my back. So I can really perform at my best because I don't have to worry, am I, am I safe here? And so underlying that trust is what we call psychological safety. I, I feel that you're going to have my back. You're going to be there for me when it really counts. And it's hard to develop. But things like humor and things like being who you are truly and vulnerability and, and telling people your story, those are the things that allow people's walls to come down and for them to really begin to trust you. And in a lot of ways, motivational interviewing gives people a language for how to do that. So getting back to humor, which is what you asked about. You know, I once had a, I was once watching a professional coach give a speech before like a really important game. And what he did was he, he dressed up actually in the, in the uniform of the opposing team and did an impersonation of like one of the important players on the other side of the team. And this was like at a super tense moment. And immediately, like the entire team started off laughing. And then that allowed him to then get to a point once, once people were connected and laughing and feeling like this is hilarious. You know, that sort of the energy changed in the room. And it allowed him then, once he engaged people, to be able to make certain kind of asks of people. And so when we think about going back to fixing, following, and, and guiding, it's not that you never fix. It's that like the connection and the engagement that you may use using motivational interviewing or, you know, one way to think of it is do you say to, to use your words, humor um, allows you to make certain asks or make certain points. So, you know, my my goal for the TED talk that you're talking about was to really engage people and show them, look, like I, I like you, I'm challenged in the same way and do it in a humorous way. And then I could say I can make a call to action. It's a, in essence, in, in that talk, it was about you know, talking about vulnerability and how we all have it, but it's also talking about that, you look, everybody should be doing mental preparation. It shouldn't just be elite athletes. We all should work on it. Finding players' internal motivation. So asking these questions, we struggle as a coach, especially in soccer. You have a squad usually of 24, 25 players. Uh, we, I think we fall into the trap of going with the collective and looking as motivation as, is the team motivated? We've lost our motivation, et cetera, et cetera. How important is it for coaches to connect or find each player's individual motivation? 
You know, it's so important, Gary. Oftentimes, the way I put it to coaches when I'm doing a workshop or when I'm talking to them is we often have three ways. We have another three parts to thinking about accomplishing a goal in coaching. Many coaches are actually operating in a way where they're talking about what they want to accomplish, right? So give an example of a, for, you know, for a soccer situation about what you might want an athlete to do. To execute a role, a defensive role at maximum effort for 90 minutes. Okay. I want you to, to execute. I want you to be playing this defensive role on the pitch. And I want you to do that full maximum effort for, for, for the whole 90 minutes. Okay. So that's, that's what we call a what. That's a what goal. And that's typically a fixing thing you'd say to an athlete. And I'm sure many coaches who are listening to, to us talking are, are thinking, okay, yeah, that's something I've asked people to do or something like it. Now let's drop it down one level further and say, okay, what if you were a coach and you were going to tell them how you wanted them to do that? There would be an X's and O's element to it. There would be right. you know, when, when, I mean, if it's a defensive player, then whenever it's, a, if it's against the opposition number nine, whenever the number nine checks forward to the ball and they're in possession, then you're getting tight. You're stopping them from turning. Right. And, you know, I, I would add too, like from a sports psychology perspective, the things I would talk to them about, okay, you know, how are you going to, to redirect yourself in 90 minutes if you get distracted? What will you do if something, ha if, if there's a goal, how will you reset? Right. So you're giving them that mental perspective as well. So you and I are, are, are talking about now how's and, and a lot of times as a coaches, we don't even get to the how. Mm. A lot of times we just stay on the what. Right. We just say, look, I need you to be out there for 90 minutes doing this. And we don't really go to the how part of the conversation, actually, which is, you know, what is the actual thing we need the athlete to do in spelling out? Sometimes I tell coaches, talk, think about how you'd explain it if you were talking to an alien. Right at that level, start there, right? Explain it like step by step. And, but what's completely left off of the conversation, Gary, most of the time is, is the why. Meaning, why am I doing this? And not, not why am I doing this in a, in a practical or technical sense? Like, and obviously you're doing it so you can score and, and win a game, but why are you doing it? And so asking athletes things like, well, what did it feel like to do that? Like, what, what did it feel like to, to, you know, be playing for 90 minutes? When you are playing for 90 minutes, what's that like? What would it mean for you to, to get through this game and play 90 minutes at, at full effort? What if you only played 15% effort? What would that be like? What, what, how, how would your teammates react? How, how, what would it feel like if you were able to do that? What, what for you, what, what are the results when you play with maximum effort? So asking these type of questions really help an athlete to, to get to, as you were saying, that internal motivation that why for themselves and what, what what science points to is that when someone's able to talk like that in other words answer those type of questions they're much more likely to be open to advice from a coach or, or someone who's helping them and be consistent with a particular change they're trying to enact yeah this is really fascinating all right here's where i struggle with it because i've i've read Dr. Simon Sinek's work as well, find your way and, and working alongside teams. And what I struggle with in our soccer culture is that when you dig a little bit deeper and you find a way, a lot of it's parent led and a lot of it's led through mom and dad have basically 
invested X amount of thousands of dollars for the last seven years in getting a scholarship. And now I've got that scholarship. I don't really enjoy the game. It's connected me with my family. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you've uncovered something that maybe you didn't want to uncover. Is that a is that a problem? What if you find out that the player is extrinsically motivated by basically held hostage by either scholarship dollars or family wanting to do that? Because this is a problem, I think, that college coaches face, especially whenever the parent is suddenly not part of the the, the picture anymore when they go to college. Wow, man. I mean, I don't think you're the only person that struggles with that. I mean, that's a deep struggle from within semi-professional and like high-level youth soccer and other sports as well, having worked with many athletes in many sports. Oftentimes, you'll uncover that the most motivated person is the parent. And, and there are several problems to that. So, you know, what, what I would say to that is, you know, I, I don't think it's a problem to uncover that. I think it, it, it's there all along, right? So when you when you figure that out, it's not that it was that you're you're the person's uncovering it for the first time. They're playing with that lack of internal motivation. So you're uncovering it for yourself as a coach, but that player knows that about themselves. One of the things that's been stunning to me is over the years working with many professional athletes um, in my practice in New York and with uh, and with professional teams. I'm talking about MLS players, NHL players, MLB players. You know. Uh, you know, professional soccer players and other sports is that many of those professional players would actually play a different sport if they could. So when you, right? So when you're talking to them, they, they would say, oh, I'd, lo- I'd love to play, the, you know, baseball. You're talking to a soccer player. They're like, oh my God, I wish I could play football, right? And so oftentimes we're not really, number one, we may be pushed into our parents, but we're also often not as good sometimes as the things that we really like. The way I look at it is, you know, Gary, if you or another coach is uncovering that, it's not that the athlete doesn't know. They know that about themselves, usually. And they're trying to cover it up themselves for themselves. And so what you're doing is you're you're helping them to clarify what actually is important. If they really didn't want to be playing, they would probably have quit already. So there's probably something about the game that really speaks to them. It could be at this point something about the connection with their peers, right? That they have a, they have a tribe that they don't they that they really connect to, and that becomes the motivation. It could be actually that there's a sense of self esteem that they're about playing that they feel good about it. Um, it actually, you know, in some cases, the motivation that we think is extrinsic actually is intrinsic because there's an idea of legacy or about pride in their family, right? And so. If they're doing it purely for the enjoyment of their parents, that's different than having like a deep connection um, and a commitment that they they feel is important in their life. So figuring that out with an athlete and having that conversation. And as a coach, you may be the only person that can have a real conversation with that athlete about this. It may be that they actually can't even have that conversation with their teammates or their parents for different reasons. And I think that the most talented coaches are able to take that motivation and kind of help the player to rewrite it. So it's consistent with playing and it's also consistent with themselves. Okay. So say it's, say it's a social connection with the team and the player loves being part of the team, loves hanging out. And, and that's what draws them here every day. Say this is, for example, in the college setting, are you then in danger? Because as a coach, the, 
as coach education or where coach education soccer is going is we're getting the what and the how we're getting better at that like we're getting armed with more information on how to get better technical tactical coaches and that's where we all really are are we all want to go on the training pitch and that's what inspires most coaches that I've worked with but when you have players then who you find out or uncover that basically hey I, I I'm I'm drawn to the social here I have no interest in X's and O's or doing any of that there stuff how do you manipulate or modify your environment where you don't lose control of because you don't want to turn it into a, a fraternity or a sorority at the same time you want to keep pushing and keep making people better but I suppose how do you work around and and manipulate your situation to to help both parties well I mean the thing I think about Gary is what you're really saying at the heart of it is like hey we're here to to play soccer and we're here to we don't want to we don't want to we don't want to lose this main um main motive or direction or mission like this isn't really about you know if you want to have friends you can have friends in high school and in your you know other clubs uh, but this is really about playing soccer and if we focus too much on the social element we may lose that yeah i feel i feel from personal experience i feel like i have maybe lost one or two or three or four, 10 players by focusing too much on you know the environment was too soccer based rather than i've i did not prioritize social settings and i'm wondering how i should modify that there yeah well i mean i think the, first of all you know going back to the beginning of our conversation you are a kind of person and a kind of coach that I think, you know, is at a high level. And I'll explain why. Because you're number one, you, you have what we call an emotional intelligence, self-awareness. Many coaches really actually lack self-awareness. We all lack self-awareness at some time. But the ability to recognize what's happening for you and what's happening in your, your environment is essential. So to be able to even ask oneself, hey, am I, am I paying attention to the right thing here? is a thing that many coaches don't do actually because they're so focused on the outcome. So I think even to start, just to say, you know, for coaches that are listening, if you can even just ask yourself like, hey, am I paying attention to the social element here? I think that's a great step. And that you know your, you, you know your environment better than anyone from the outside. So you're the best person to answer that question. I think Gary, if, you know, to, to move on to your, to your original question, I think if, if, you know, to me, you know, there, it's the idea. There is a social element in your team, and there, there's no way that you can kind of make it stop. Actually, most people are, as you're talking about, concentrate on developing it. And I, I actually think that you know the best thing that you can do for a player or a team is where you see that social element um, developing to reinforce it. I think one of the strongest motivators um, to play hard. And to win is doing it for your brothers or doing it for your sisters. One of the most interesting findings, I think, uh, recently about teams and how they function is about looking at people who go to war. And, you know, we would think like the first thing that you want to do is get out of that situation. Like you, you're in a situation where your life's at risk, where, you know, you're living under definitely suboptimal living conditions and you're separated from your family. But what you find actually is that when those um, soldiers, oftentimes elite soldiers, come back from that situation, they often long for that battle. 
And the thing that they long for is not to, you know, to hurt or kill other people or to have their life at risk. What they often long for um, is this sense of being connected to their brothers and sisters, this deep connection. And so I, I, in my experience, you know, playing for others um, can be more powerful than playing for yourself. Um, and so developing the sense and even messaging um, that, you know, even, even messaging being your brother's or your sister's keeper and having that be a tagline or something that's talked about at team meetings um, and supporting each other, et cetera. And also making time outside of the soccer activities for people to be together. Um, every, every elite team I've been on spends some kind of connected time together and has time to get to know each other as people. Um, and so I, I actually think that can turn into a really big uh, internal motivator if it's developed by coaches uh, and, and encouraged. So on that, how do you feel, again, from a, say, high school, club, college, uh, this age group where, where obviously social, uh, social is, is, a, is a big, big priority? I get a lot of emails from, from coaches that basically are, hey, uh, I've got one or two problems and, or you know, the ship's going down kind of thing. You know, a question I always get asked is, how much should I try to solve the problem in terms of making players we're going to do this together. We're going to go bowling together. We're going to do this almost, you know, you're almost the dad that's making the family hang out and they don't want, they want to be, get a break from each other. Whereas our, our environment here, like our, our team spirit in, in Chicago is, is unbelievable, but we have never done one official, you know, team event together, you know? So where's the, where's the sweet spot in, in, in facilitating that as a coach? Well, I mean, first of all, I think, you know, the, I'll say like, I wouldn't never, I would never do anything that's unnatural. Right. So, I mean, if you're, if your team is in the team, that's going to have an official event, then I wouldn't do it. I just think that making time to, to, and that time actually could just be like setting things up. So there's sort of like a lag time between practices that people are just all hanging out in the locker room in a certain kind of way. Um, that could be just like having meals together in a, in a certain kind of way. Um, but, you know, really just spending time getting to know each other um, and, and making sure that that's somehow built in organically or naturally into the into the workouts, et cetera. I mean, the other thing I think about as you're talking about, Gary, is that, um, you know, it, it really a lot of this, if the ship's already going down, it's hard to redirect that. A lot of this is more prophylactically, right, like doing it ahead of time. Right. So that if you if you get to the place where you know, things are getting, you know, screwed up. It's really hard to, to right the ship. It's easier to have the ship sailing in the right direction from, from the beginning. And so what that means, I think, is creating an environment where, it, number one, um, people have the ability to share what's on their mind and creating a, like a green light for that. And number two, just creating an environment where people are, are spending time together from the beginning. I don't think it has to be really a, a formal situation. Now, the, I'll say one thing though about what I what I found is that what when when stuff is getting out of control, um, you know, people tend to avoid it, or they tend to just only direct um, the 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 problem bringer. I think of it as as a problem bringer. It's like you know a certain gr group. It could be a certain number of players, or it could be one person 
who's really kind of the person who's bringing the problem. But that doesn't mean that the problem is just with that people. It's usually larger in the team. And so what we do in motivational interviewing, and there's a section in the book on this, is thinking about how to hold a team meeting in which, you know, we're not coming out and fixing the problem, but rather we're acting as a guide. We're trying to elicit what the problem is and trying to, to guide people to help resolve it on their own. And even players as young as 14, you know, can really come up with excellent suggestions on their own in how to, how to remedy a problem. And so being able to bring that out, you know, I think it's just a tremendous learning experience for players. If the things are going down, to be able to have a coach that comes in and guides them using the type of questions that we suggest in motivational interviewing to help them resolve the issue on, on their own. So even starting a meeting with saying something like, look, you know, this team is really important to me and it's important to me. You guys are important to me beyond, you know, whether we win or lose this next game. And so uh, it's clear that there's some tension here. What's going on? So starting that with an open-ended question, rather than saying, this is, you know, you guys need to behave in a particular kind of way. And then being strong enough and brave enough to be able to listen reflectively before we fix. What, co what I think people get confused about, you know, someone asked me recently, what's the biggest misconception about motivational interviewing is that, that you can't fix. Of course you can fix. You know, you always can come in with a hammer. Right. Like you can always come in at the end of the day and say, look, this is what's going to happen. But we find that's more effective to start from a, a following and a guiding stance uh, first and see if you can work it through with the players so the players can suggest that there's a, a famous quote by this guy, by Abraham Maslow, said that, you know, the only tool that you have is a hammer. Everything looks like a nail. Speaking of quotes, I wanted to run this one past you. So yeah. motivation versus commitment. So Brendan Rogers, this is what he said. I first need them to understand the commitment of what it takes to work every day. I don't need players motivated because some days you get up and you're not motivated. But if you're a life-saving surgeon, you work on commitment. If you do five operations a day and save people's lives, you might need to be motivated for the first four but the fifth guy needs you just like the first one. So you need to commit to your work. No matter how you feel, it's about being committed. Which, you know, and I think as a coach, I think anything I tweet about commitment in players gets like 500 retweets or likes or whatever. Because I think as coaches, we see that there as the player owns their commitment level, not us as a coach. They're not committed. There's nothing I can do about it. And I wanted to get your thoughts on how to keep people motivated or keep them committed as the love of the game becomes a grind. So great question. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, someone like, like Brendan Rogers is someone who I think is, you know, fiery with motivation. I actually have problems with the word motivation and which is, you know, is, is a problem for me because my book has the title on it. <laughs> um, you know, but you know what I mean by that, Gary, is you know, what are we really saying when we say motivation? And, and, what I'm, and let me explain. So to, to go back to, to, to Roger's example, you know, you, what I think about motivation, we talk about this in the book a lot, is, and we talk about this in motivational interviewing, with an athlete, motivation to me, is kind of two things. Um, it's importance 
and confidence. And often we get confused about what, why a player is not committed. So in their commitment, the two things they have to have to be committed, in my mind, are actually importance and confidence. This is important to me, right, is one part. And the other part is confidence, and I can do it. And where problems sometimes arise, right, is actually when there's an absence of one of those things. And where problems arise in coaching is where we're coaching to the wrong part of what may be missing. So if you have a player, there are certain players that it's so important to them to succeed, yet they lack the confidence or their ability. And we're telling them how important it is, but we're not helping them with their own sense of self-efficacy and their own belief in themselves. There are other players that actually think 100% that they can do it, but they actually, on some level, haven't found, as we talked about before, this internal reason or importance to do it. And we may not be coaching or asking the right questions to elicit that. And so I agree, commitment is 100% important. But I, what we're talking about in motivational interviewing is how we get there, focusing on the right thing at the right time um, with each player, meaning having the right kind of conversation using these following and guiding techniques to bring out their either their importance or boost up their confidence. I'm sure there's a lot of coaches doing what I'm doing right now, just nodding their heads and thinking of one or two players that are having issues. But I'm then thinking, uh, you know, the per- that's my perception, though. So, I mean, it's back to your point on awareness, uh, you know, what type of coach will always say, yeah, it's the, it's, it's me getting that connection right or the co- helping them with that confidence or how many coaches will then take the easy route and say, yeah, it's just not important enough to them and then kind of wash their hands off with that player. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, listen, uh, you know, for me, let's go back to the, the initial question you said hey man i'm going to challenge you here and i think you have i think some of the questions you asked gary have really challenged me to think about how to explain this in a way that every coach can can really utilize some of these skills when they when they read this book but look to me coaching is a challenge and the biggest challenge the biggest and the biggest beauty of all this is working with those players to me like working with the players that you just go fix and tell them how to play that's easy <laughs> that's, that's easy. That, like, you know, like you can get a, a well-trained robot to do that. The beauty and the art of coaching is is when things get hectic and hard, and players don't want to do things or are doing them. You're not sure why they're doing that. Like I say, embrace that beauty. You know what I mean? If I if I have a coach that's really difficult, and I have trust me, I have. <laughs> you know, th- those are the ones that are I find to be interesting and 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 fun to work with. I mean, it's not that it's not a pain that you know what, but, you know, but that's what really requires my best. Look, I want to be challenged. And I think one of the things, if you're listening to this to your coach, you know, you can embrace that. You can say, yes, this is what I'm doing this for. I always tell people if you're, you know, if you're playing poker and you get pocket aces every time, the best hand possible in poker, it's going to start get boring. And so same with coaching. If if I'm telling you, people disagree with me, but I 100% believe if we want every single game and everything was easy, we wouldn't like sports, right? It, this is about the challenge of it. We want to be challenged. No one would want a, like you know, uh, 15 easy games with easy opponents. We want to be challenged. 
Um, and, and I think that that's how you should look at these players, right? It's to say, look, if you're giving up on people, you're not challenging yourself to the best of the ability. You're, you're saying like, okay, I don't want to raise my coaching to the next, to the next level. We do tend to want things a little bit easier as a, as a coaching community. I think that's, that's a, that's a fact. Um, yeah, I do too. Look, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying, look, I mean, when I have a difficult player and believe me, I have, I mean, in fact, you know, I would say a, a good portion just because of the work I do are players that are perceived as difficult or are having challenges. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I, I take that home at night, but um, what I wake up in the morning is say, I say, I'm grateful. I'm super grateful that I have these challenges because I want a life that's interesting and stimulating and challenging. And so that helps me to change my outlook when I have that kind of conflict uh, or that friction with someone. And I, you know, what I would say to people, you know, th there's a, there's an American football coach, Urban Mayer, um, who has a quote that I really like about this, which is don't get furious, get curious. Don't get furious, get curious. When you're, when you notice you're mad, See if you can transform that anger into a curiosity about what's actually happening for this person. Brilliant. Yeah, I went to I went to visit uh, Dan Abrams a couple of years ago. Yeah, in England. Of I like Dan a lot. Dan's I like his work that he's doing in soccer brilliant. in the UK. Uh, I went to visit him at a, at a Derby County and got there, and he took me for a coffee. And just as we walked in, two players walked into the cafeteria. Uh, one after the other, and the first one went in. You know, he was all bubbly and hey Dan, how's it going? And he was he was high profile, and uh, and he and he was experienced, and he was captain of the club. And I was like, oh yeah, I said Dan, that's brilliant. Is is he big into the the sports psychology? Dan was like, no, no interest in it. And then the next one came in, it was the same thing. And sometimes as you think, you know, from from the lower levels, you think that as you go up, that these players automatically have this internal fire every day but you know most coaches at every level have the same problems right absolutely absolutely we all have that i mean you know look i mean i've worked with with you know 10 year olds and i've worked with elite players in the in, in major league soccer at every level whether it's an elite player or players who are 10 you know we everybody has challenges in what they think is important and, and their level of confidence, certainly on a confidence level. I mean, one of the things about this is like, I got to tell you the players um, that I think that are not open to change are the ones that on a deep level have something that's they're struggling with. And so, you know, to me, you know, this, this is really about, helping people to get over themselves a lot, whether it's, you know, working on their mental game or losing weight to be in a different weight class. Mm. You know, we, we all have these challenges in our own importance and confidence. And, you know, if, if someone doesn't want to drop weight, it's either that they're, they don't think it's important or that they're, they don't think that they could and figuring out which it is and helping them through that. That's an art. And I, I believe motivational interviewing is one of the best brushes you can, you can uh, have to, to paint in that setting. Last few for you. I want to, I want you to almost then turn the tables and, and challenge us as a community of coaches in soccer to look beyond the game for a, for a couple of questions. So you've worked in your journey, you've worked with the fire department in New York City, and I'm fascinated by this. What does putting out fires have to do with motivational psychology? That's a great question. Well, you know, I think one of the things that I think about, I'm going to get really abstract here for a minute, um, just to answer that question. But, you know, I actually think one of the challenges um, in life, forget about firefighting, 
is as we we get uh, as we as our world becomes increasingly industrialized and and we rely on technology, um, a lot of times we have struggle with meaning, and the reason is that in my mind because we get farther away from our working with our hands. Most of us aren't actually creating a product with our hands. Some of us are carpenters or contractors, and we are, but most of us are actually even coaching, right? Most of our work is done using words to convey meaning. And so I think that's challenging. And so I bring this back to your question about firefighting. The same is true in motivation. So we're, if you're involved in activity that's about life or death, you're in, you, there's a high intrinsic motivation kind of built into what you do. So meaning with firefighters, I've found that most of them are super intrinsically motivated because they know that they, uh, their role is to protect the public. And they know that if they actually mess up or they're not bringing their best, they're, they're really gonna put someone's life in jeopardy. And so I found that working with firefighters, they already have a really highly built-in um, sense of motivation. Now, that's not to say though, that there are certain areas of training as a firefighter in which you feel less motivated. So for example, you know, what happens in firefighting, I'll give you an example, is that, you know, you in firefighting actually, New York is one of the biggest firefighting departments in, in the in the world. I think Tokyo is the only place where it's bigger. So New York has eleven thousand firefighters and it's the busiest place, but still even in the busiest house, you're only you're not going to a, like a ton of fires, right? You might only go to ten challenging fires a year. So many times you're leaving and you're going for like a cooking fire or something small, a smoke alarm or something like that, right? And so the challenge is to stay alert and ready every single time mentally. And so using techniques that help you to focus on what your internal motivation is and to do things like imagery and develop a pre-performance routine in mental conditioning, the same thing we would do with soccer, um, help you to stay locked in each time and keep that motivation present in some way. So if we take that step down and, and, and back into the world of soccer, you know, a lot of people really don't know, as we talked about, why they're playing or even why they're coaching. You know, what's the, the point of it? And I think, you know, having your own mission statement, um, just like a firefighter has built in internally, um, can, can be revolutionary. Going back to your TED talk, you talk at, at the start, you talked about basically being nervous when you're watching the games with teams you work with. And, you know, you, you've worked with some phenomenal teams here and, and teams like the New York Giants and the New York Mets, these are these are worldwide brands. So I can imagine that at that level, when you're watching games, there's most of the world are watching with you. What, from your role, what do you see as, as success whenever you're working alongside those teams and those players? Wow. So, I mean, the, the main thing I think about in terms of um, my own personal success is you know, am I, uh, there's an acronym that we use in, in sports, in sports psychology called APE. And what that stands for is the things that we control in, in, in our performance. What's in control is, is A, our attitude, P, our preparation, and E, our effort. And so what I'm judging myself on in terms of every day in my role in working with an athlete or a team is, do I have the best attitude I possibly can? 
Meaning when I, and this goes back to what we just talked about, you know, do, if I have a challenging player, am I saying, oh, I don't want to deal with that? Or, or am I saying, look, this is, this is going to make me better by doing it. And I'm so lucky to have this opportunity. And then preparation. Do, do, am I doing everything I possibly can to study who I'm dealing with? If I have a player who, you know, like Dan was, you know, like you're talking about in the coffee shop, do I know exactly why um, they are resistant? And I, have I done everything to prepare to understand this particular person? Then effort. Am I giving up? So if a player is not interested, am I really putting in the effort? Am I allowing myself to, to shy away from figuring them out and figuring out what's getting in their way? So I really judge myself on those things. And I think I have an overarching goal, which is I'm actually really focused, you know, on people first and athletes second. So, you know, for me, success, yes, is having people win. But I, I ask myself, you know, is this person coming away from our conversations with a better ability to enjoy their life as a whole and make a greater impact on the team and on and, and, and off the field on fans or people in general? And so that's sort of a, 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 a overarching mission that I have is to, is to incorporate those discussions into the conversation as well. Whenever you're working with these teams, and, and again, one of, your, one of your interviews, you said the importance of, you said top down and bottom up is the two areas that you really work with. And working with the resistance of, as coaching community, and as coaches, sometimes we can become more ingrained in in ineffective behaviors or ineffective thinking more than the players can. Uh, how can we challenge ourselves as coaches to to take a little bit more, to challenge our own beliefs when we're not basically blessed with a staff of 20 people and people like yourselves coming in to challenge that? I mean, I, listen, I've done a lot of podcasts. I, I can't believe how thoroughly you've looked into some of the concepts I've talked about. It's pretty <laughs> astonishing. Um, and you know, listen, flattery, flattery will give you everywhere. Um, so I appreciate it, but I just, I, I think it's inspiring for your listeners that, you know, talk about ape, right? This idea of attitude, preparation and effort, you, you know, it's clear to me that you have a deep level of preparation for these conversations. And I'm sure your listeners appreciate that. So challenging ourselves. And I, I think, you know, this is, uh, you know, uh, really one way to think about all of the things we talked about. I mean, I really like this theme that's emerged through our conversation about about challenging. So so top down and bottom up, that idea is about when you're working in an organization, and, and this can be an organization where you have 20 people, right? It could be you and you know a bunch of parents and some kids, or it can be you know major league soccer um, or you know uh, world class uh, soccer. Like this this what what we mean by that is that. A lot of times when we're trying to incorporate change in an organization, we just work with the people in power. And that my belief, and this comes from work and, and, and actually mentorship I've had from Sandy Alderson, who was the, um, the GM of the Mets when I was there, is, is the idea also of that you want to you do it, you want to reach every level. Um, and so, you know, both he and, and also Omar Manaya, who was another, uh, who was a GM there and is still with the Mets, both of them, I think, really helped me to to think about uh, program development and how you work with a system. And so what that means for you is, you know, you, if you have a message you're trying to get across, yeah, hit the captains, but also hit the newest player on the team, right? Form, form a way of making sure that everybody is influenced by what you're trying to get across. And, you know, I'll say about, about that in terms of, you know, listeners here about challenging yourself. Look, I mean, it's really hard to get better 
without a coach in anything. And one of the issues is that coaches don't have coaches. So I'd recommend to anyone who's listening, get a coach. I mean, look, if you're in a situation where you can get a, a performance consultant or a sports psychologist, great. But you, you can actually just identify another coach. And it could be someone in a different place that you Skype with, you know, that you can talk to about these issues. Hey, I've got this player. Um, and really talk through. And, and the first step is to, to be more honest and vulnerable about what you're experiencing, because I guarantee you other people are experiencing it too. And if you can say, here's my real struggle with this, you know, I feel uh, like I'm not being effective here, or, you know, I don't like it that I get mad. And then I find myself unable to figure out a way to make it better with this player. Uh, you know, you're going to find that other people have those challenges too. And that being able to, to talk that through with people and have um, people reflect through that with you is a great way to challenge yourself. Brilliant. Brilliant. What a way to finish it. Dr. Fader, thank you so much. Awesome. It's been a blast. Thanks so much to Dr. Fader for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, motivation and commitment. Initially, as a college coach, I bought into the whole idea that it was all or nothing that you had to get committed players and they had to be on board. And if they weren't, the culture was almost at risk or even sacrificed. And then in recent years, when it's come to working with players in Chicago, you get to find different personalities and what motivates different people. And there's so many different types of it. Some people, some top players, some of them are motivated by freedom of expression some of them are motivated by getting better as individuals some of them are motivated by winning some of them are motivated by competition going in every day and just competing some of them the motivation changes it can shift uh, if they're younger this can particularly happen and it's only when you sit down then and you realize that if that's the the top end of players when you go back and almost reverse engineer player development i think we've got to start understanding people and meeting them where they're at in terms of that motivation now that means that cultures cannot be what we want it to be we want this all black culture or we want the competitive cauldron culture in all our teams and sometimes that's just not possible to grow right away i think now as a coach you have to be agile in so many ways you have to be agile adaptable in your state of leadership in your playing systems in your training but i think also then that has to extend the management and that has to extend to different people and how you're connecting with them and how you are inspiring them or motivating them or whatever you want to call it i mean motivation is a form of communication so uh, what I really loved about that conversation is if you take out the word motivation and take out our bias associated with that word, which is, you know, the, the any given Sunday speech again, if you take that out and you replace motivation with communication, then all of a sudden I think you get a better grasp of buying into exactly what you need to do to improve it at, at every single level, youth, college, pro, whatever it is. And that goes down to the art of communication and impacting players on a daily basis. So something that I, I definitely want to get better at. I've been reading a lot in the business world over the past 12, 24 months and trying to bring certain principles onto my coaching. Things like motivational interviewing I've never come across before. So I'll be definitely grabbing a copy of the book and and just trying to understand a little bit more 
where I stand and how I can impact and how I can influence as a coach and what role the environment has in change and motivation. I think if we can become a little bit more aware of that, if we can become a little bit more humble in the fact that we don't control motivation and motivation in environment sometimes controls us as a coach and we are more adaptable and more flexible and maybe a bit more willing to try and maybe a bit more willing to reconnect with players who we initially think are are really, really motivated and all of a sudden they don't have that spark that they once had. Maybe reconnecting with those players and learning how to do that I think is very, very important. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on that and we'd love to hear your thoughts just on the, on the topic as a whole, things that you do within your culture at whatever level it is to try and keep your players connected, keep them inspired, keep them learning, keep them growing and keep them motivated to get better every day. So we'd love to hear that. At Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. You can reach out on email as well, Gary at modernsoccercoach.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please, before you shoot off, please give it a five-star rating on iTunes. Give it a little review as well. Always helps. Thank you so much. I will talk to you next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.